This episode of the YVR Screen Scene Podcast is brought to you by Fish Flight Entertainment. This episode was sponsored in part by listeners like you. Join our Patreon community and receive early access to episodes, bonus content, stickers, buttons, and more. Visit www.patreon.com slash YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Welcome to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast, where we pull back the curtain and expose the beating heart to the Vancouver film and television industry, namely the actors and filmmakers and other talented artists who do the work, capital T, capital W. I'm Sabrina Furminger, and today I'm happy, I'm damn happy to welcome Philip Granger to the YVR Screen Scene Podcast. Now, I've never interviewed Philip Granger before, but I feel like I know him because numerous friends of the podcast, friends like Sharon Taylor and Richard Dickey Harmon, have sung his praises behind his back. Philip is an actor, producer, and educator based in Vancouver. His IMDb filmography goes on for miles and miles. Seriously, I hurt my finger scrolling through that thing. Select credits include Walt in Neon Rider, Coach Koloski in Madison, Supernatural, Caprica, Rogue, and Winston in the highly underrated and gone too soon Ghost Wars. He won a Gemini Award for his performance in Neon Rider and a 2019 Leo Award for his work opposite young Dickie Harmon in John Silverberg's Woodland. And you can listen to John and Dickie sing Philip's praises in our special Woodland episode. Philip is the head of the acting department at New Image College in Vancouver, and New Image College's acting alumni have garnered like five Leo nominations, two Union of British Columbia Performer nominations, Los Angeles Web Fest Best Actor Award, and UBCP Actress Best Emerging Performer Award winner. So with all of those awards and all of those credits, you'd be hard-pressed to find someone in the Vancouver film community who hasn't worked with Philip. Everyone knows him. Everyone likes him, and today we're gonna get to know him and like him too. Phil Granger, Philip Granger, Phil Granger, Granger, Mr. Granger, sir, welcome Phil. to the YBR Screen Scene Podcast. Thank you for having me, and I, I don't think everybody likes me, but thank you. I think there's everybody. Gotta, there's gotta be a couple out there, you know, for sure, somewhere in the, they're gonna be, yeah. Thank for you, outliers, so there'll sweet. be somebody that's like something's wrong. Like what's like if they don't like you? I eat them. Yeah. <laughs> like you're an alien. Um, okay, so is it Phil or Philip? Uh, Phil. Phil's what people who who know me call me. So Philip is sometimes on the on the on in my credits, but it's I don't really have a. I don't care really. Um, okay, so but I care. So I think what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna yeah. call you Philip throughout, and then once I feel that I've gotten to know you well enough through this interview, I will call you Phil. Awesome. <laughs> um, okay, so Philip, before we yeah. go any further, um, I mean, we're we are. If people are listening to this in the far future, hopefully not too far future, um, where there has been a vaccine for the pandemic and we've solved all of the social justice issues that are going, going on. Um, I want people to know that we are still in the midst of all of that right now. Uh, and we are recording over Zoom. I am sitting here in my bedroom with my laundry. You are sitting in 
I think you're, you said your garage with the kind of really garage. cool CG background. Um, during the pandemic, though, I've been asking everybody that that I've been speaking with, you know, how how they're doing. Asking from my heart to check in. So how are you, how are you doing with this with this whole hashtag COVID nineteen life? I was really incredible, honestly. I've never had the opportunity to just stop and do nothing mm. and just sit. I have children. I have a bunch of kids and my wife and, you know, I'm often out the door first thing in the morning and, and don't come home till late yeah. and where I was actually able to just sit and get to know everybody. And that was amazing. And there was that two month period where we, um, where we literally did not leave the house. I was the only person to leave the house. Yeah. I get in the car, I drive to get the, the wares for whatever we needed. Yeah. And then we'd come back and it was kind of incredible. Also, I love the quietness of it, and I love the fact that the earth started to heal. You could see it. Mm. You could see how the plants were flourishing and how uh, everything just seemed to, to flourish more. And it, in a way, it was like a reminder of what's important. So that part was pretty great. Um, I know the difficulty was, you know, people surviving and what are we going to do in the future and but honestly, it's some sort of great lesson for everybody. You kind of have to take a step back and look at what's important. I think the whole world's doing that. Yeah. So in a way, I think the pandemic's been incredible. Plus, you know, we've done really well in Canada. Like, honestly, we have people that listen to science and, uh, and our citizens are caring for one another. You know, of course, there are some that aren't, but it's kind of been a reflection of who we are as, as a country, which made me feel really proud of being Canadian, you know? It's really being, nice to hear uh, you say that, frankly, yeah. you know, yeah. that you, you've also been able to see the the good side of it. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I know that I'm, I'm one of the people who, maybe it's because I also, I, I, I have negative self-talk and I have a very loud, you know, voice in my mind who is always able to, to look at the the negative, you know, and, mm -hmm. the, and the possibility for catastrophe in every situation. Um, and that's also also from having like a nine-year-old and then my husband has kidney failure. So like, I, I'm oh. constantly like, I look at the pandemic as if it's like a terrorist threat. Um, yeah, but you know, what? Sure. like once you said that, I'm like, yeah, there has been, mm. I have spent more time with my family. I have gotten to know them better. That's just, yeah. ha have you been watching, um, have you like a lot of people been uh, been using the pandemic to catch up on a film and television projects? You know, cause there's been a lot of people who have, who have uh, used this time to really embrace the kind of stuff that we put out, right? Film, TV, and podcasts, you know, and, to, and we can definitely see a lot of people seeing the importance of the kind of work that we do. So have you been binging? What have you been watching? Uh, I've been binging. I binged on um, uh, Ozark, mm. which I hadn't watched, you know, again, I've been busy. I watched that. It was pretty incredible. I watched Warrior Nun. Yes, you did. Amazing. <laughs> Simon Barry, what a, what a gem of a human being. And then he goes over and does this really cool show in Spain. I'm so jealous. Like I'm he's sure. over in Spain making these uh, incredible show with his uh, his imagination. I like how empowering it was for the the women characters. They were all badass, you know. And mm -hmm. so I pinched on that. And then um, also uh, Teenage Bounty Hunters, which Maddie Phillips is in, who was in oh. Ghost Wars with me. Yeah. And she's unbelievable. She's incredible. She's such a great 
young actress and she uh, was flown to Atlanta last year to do that show. So I binged that. And, you know, um, what's so cool about that is the girl's just amazing. Yeah. She's really unique and she's very, very kind. And, uh, and so she got this fantastic opportunity and she killed it. Her and the other girl, the, the two leads are just so present and it's fun. So I like to watch things that my friends are in yeah. and, and support that. And then um, been kind of doing a lot of writing. I, I decided to like, during this time, I've always, I wrote plays before and, hmm. So I've been carrying a film with me for a bunch of years and I've been able to sit down and write the first draft. I really like it. So basically a two-hander and um, it's it's a pretty original story. So pretty happy with the first draft and now comes to continue to do that. And so that's another creative thing that you can do with your time. And Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's been good. I mean, it's hard. You know, it's hard because I have, um, a lot of people in industry live down the street from me and, you know, we have first ADs and second ADs and, and then actors and all these people where they're, uh, where for a time we didn't know what was going to happen, but now it seems like we're doing pretty good. And, um, and yeah, also Simon Barry's wife's directing, uh, right, right now. I want to mention. She Wait, you do- mean Jackie Gould? Yeah. Jackie she's killing Gould. Yes, she is. Killing it. And, uh, she, I just read a script that she's doing um, that's coming up. It's going to be pretty dope. She's going to do a great job of it. And uh, she, yeah. I got I to get her on the podcast. I've asked her a few times. Mm. And I, I just, I, I mean, now it's getting to the point where she's too busy. <laughs> she's so I know. busy. But I would, I lo- I would love to sit down with her and um, just peer into that brain. But let's, Philip, let's peer into your brain. Um, okay. You mentioned being a writer in the before times. Uh, I want to go back to even before that. Let's let's uh, let's get in the way back machine. Okay. And I want to go back to your childhood. Okay. Um, I have a nine year old. I think nine is a very pure age. Oh, you know, yeah. you have a very really clear idea of who you are and what you want. So, take me back to when you were nine. Who were you? What did you want? What did you want to be when you grew up? What were you watching on on TV? All of it crazy so when i was nine um my best friend was my grandmother Mm. and uh we hung out a lot and she used to take me to theater she used to take me to these pantos in victoria and we used to sit there watch these great little plays about pirates and stuff and it got me inspired about being an actor you know like thinking well but i didn't think it was possible you know i because like first off as a kid you don't even think about like that that's something you do for a living. But I was like, so thought it was so amazing and so inspired. And then a few years later, we were living in Maple Bay, British Columbia and a movie called five easy pieces directed by Bob Rafelson starring Jack Nicholson came to our town. Wow. And I was a little kid and I, they took over the entire town and I was able to walk around the trucks and ask people what they did, you know, and so one of one of the people said, I make the food. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's cool. And the other one did wardrobe. I do the clothing. And so I eventually ended up to this guy and I go, what do you do? Because I'm an actor, kid. <laughs> an actor? Do they pay you for that? Oh, yeah. 
You know who it was. It was Jack oh, Nicholson. That's amazing. He's like, oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah. oh, yeah. They pay for acting? Oh, yeah. So I was like, wow. So I watched him make the movie. I watched him. They, our boat, we had a sailboat. that was. There were, there's a scene with Jack Nicholson when he gets a fight with Karen Black. He ends up waking up on the pier. He wakes up by our boat. And we were living on that sailboat. I had a kind of an unconventional family. So we yeah. sailed around. And um, so then uh, years later, I was living in Los Angeles. I was doing a play called the old, no, which one? I was doing Wormwood. I used to do a ton of theater. And uh, I was doing a play called Wormwood. And I got invited to an Oscar party at Helena's, which was this crazy club where Jack Nicholson banked the girl from Five Easy Pieces. Uh, the one that goes, uh, no, it wasn't Five Easy, it's the other one where she's like, she played the waitress anyway. You know, hold the hand, that scene, that amazing scene that, that everyone does. You know, hold the hand between your legs, you know, and I'll have, you know, two pieces of toast, that's the thing. So, <laughs> I'm there, Sally Kirkland, Robert, um, uh, Danny DeVito, Jack Nicholson rolls in. Mm. What's the table? I got invited because there was a girl I was seeing, and she she was like, I got this Oscar party. You got to come. I'm like, yeah, let's do this. And went and ended up at their table, and he comes in, and Bob Rafelson, the director, was there. And Michael Douglas. Now, Michael Douglas was nominated for Wall Street and he was nominated for um, Ironweed. Mm -hmm. He lost. Michael won. Sitting at the table, Jack's there. Michael Douglas comes in with his Oscar. And Jack goes, hey, Michael, you know who that really belongs to now, don't you? <laughs> Michael Douglas walks over, puts it right in front of him. I got to witness the whole thing. So then, you know, trying not to make a total ass of myself later on, I was like, you know, when I was a little kid and, you know, you came to do five, uh, you said, yeah, you can make, that's a great kid. I ended up hanging out with him all night. Yeah. It was like an amazing night with, with all those people. And, uh, and it was kind of a full circle because I'd, uh, from that moment that he said, oh, yeah. I was like, God, this could really be something. I yeah. maybe make this a go. So I, uh, you know, thought about it a lot. And then I used to put little, I put this little, my first critic was my sister. She almost killed me too. I put a little stage together uh, and I put Elvis Presley on. I made myself looking at like Elvis. Yeah. And then did a song of his and everything. I got the family around. Let's watch, you know did the Elvis thing. And then at the end, she's like, Oh, you should do that. But you should do that more like yourself. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm being Elvis. She's like, no, 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 that didn't, that didn't work. You, you, you're really bad. And it almost stopped me. I was like, Oh my God, I'm crushed by my sister. But I said, fuck it. I'm going to keep going. I'm sorry for swearing. Oh no, you can fucking swear so fucking much. This is a fucking podcast where you can, yeah, we, we earn our explicit rating on Apple podcasts. You know, I find that, I mean, I honestly, I'm so glad you're doing this because I could, I don't even need to ask questions. You, because you sir can spin a yarn, which I've heard about you. But I find, I find it interesting that your sister said to be more like yourself. Yeah. Because like for me, you know, like I, I mean, and I've, I'll admit, like I've had similar things said to me uh, in the past, especially about podcasting. Be like Sabrina, just be yourself. You don't have to try to be anybody. And even you know to 
to my my daughter. Like I think that that that's such a it's a very thoughtful kind of comment. You know, it's not necessarily a I know criticism, it, right. You know, I've thought about it a lot since. You know, like when she said it was devastating. I was like, oh my god, in the wind out of the sails. But as I think back on it, it was actually pretty good advice. Yeah. You know, be yourself. Um, but yes, yeah, so that you kind of wanted to go through the early acting stuff. That's what got me interested. Yeah. Was those two experiences. My grandmother, uh, you know, who was my best friend. And I lived with her for a while too. Yeah. And so we, we shared lots. She was the one who really got me interested in, in theater and art and, you know, just being creative. And, um, and then the, the chance encounter with Jack Nicholson. And then just from there, it just didn't leave me. You, I found myself surrounded by people that were from the same tribe by accident, you know? Yeah. Just, Obviously, uh, the, the band of, of creative misfits, the best yeah. people, the best people. So, I mean, b- besides the fact that part of your origin story is Jack Nicholson saying that you could actually be an actor, what else? What else? you want like from you know you start your your pursuit of of acting and of a career did you have an idea of the kind of career that you wanted or I just it- wanted I wanted to be excellent I just wanted to be really good at what I did so I um that was the that was the that's was the standard like I realized to do the work of an actor you really have to um you have to value the storytelling part of it mm. and to value all the people that are making the films with you, you know? Yeah. So I just wanted to be really, really skilled and, and helpful on anything that I did as an actor. So I, um, at first I, I thought that was just going to be theater. You know, I did theater for years and I was like, this is it. This is how you become a really great actor as you do theater. And then I realized that once I had a child, I was like, wait a minute, you can't make any money doing theater, which is really sad. Um, And then I needed to branch out. And I started getting film work in Los Angeles. So I started getting um, some movie work and some television and started working with a couple of good directors. I was known for my theater work and casting directors knew me. And um, so I was starting to get pulled in. And then uh, Barbara Cohen, who is a great casting director in LA says, you know what? You're Canadian, Phil. There's so much work in Canada. I think you kill it. I could give you an introduction. Why don't you give that a shot? Because there's a billion people here. Also, I was dark skinned. And, um, you know, back then it was like, oh, you get to play the guy with the gun in your hand or, you know, the rotten, you know, I did chips where I was like the bad kid exploited all the kids in the high school gets arrested. You know, that was it. You did so, chips. Oh, wow. You did chips. chips. Yeah, I did a two-parter. Return of the Brat Patrol, and I was the brat. Right? Eric is giving me acting notes in his dressing room, you know? Oh, that's brilliant. He's like, these are a lot of pictures of you in this dressing room. There's a lot of pictures. Pretty funny. Yeah. uh, Yeah, so Barbara Cohen suggested I uh, come to Canada, give it a try, because she just thought it would open it up and she realized that uh, what I cared about like was acting. So she introduced me to Stuart Aikens. Stuart Aikens, um, when I came, I arrived in Canada back to give it a shot. Thought I'd spend one year here. Like, okay, I'll give it a year. And, uh, you know, um, was able to lend a series with Winston Record, 
called Neon Rider, which was really beautiful. And mm. then from there on, it was just like continue on. Yeah. Wow. Mm. Um, I mean, you you told us about your first time on set, which was even really before you were in the industry and that lit a spark. Can you tell me about the your first time on, on set uh, as an actor? you know, and what you remember about that, you know, that experience of, of being on your first set there to, to play a role. To, to oh yeah. My first real movie experience was a movie called, what was it called? Ah, to Die For. It was directed by Darren Serafian. It was his first movie. Darren's gone on to be this great director. Um, but I was hired to play a detective, this Detective Sanchez. And uh, so I grew a beard. My I, I kind of look like Serpico, mm. and um, and so we're doing my first day. I got this big scene where we all the cop cars pull in. There's a dead body on the ground, and we're gonna like I'm gonna have this dialogue about this scene, you know, about what happened. And so I'm like, okay, today's the day, man. Let's go. So you know. Midnight rolls around. I'm like, when are we shooting the scene? One o'clock in the morning. Oh my God. Two o'clock in the morning. You know, we're shooting a scene. That's on, I didn't know how to read a call sheet. It was the last thing booked. Five o'clock in the morning, right? I'm just like, and I've been there since like 6 p.m. Thinking, here we go. Picks <laughs> in the morning, right? I've been waiting. All of a sudden, I think it was about 5.30. All of a sudden, like, okay, we're ready for a scene. Like, I'm, oh my God, great. Put me some water on my face, you know? And uh, we shot the scene, hit the crane and everything, pulled in and all the scene. I was like, oh my God. You know, so later on, I, I was like, uh, years later, actually, I ran into Darren and we talked about that. And I was like, God, Darren, you know, that first night, you know? I, 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 I stayed up the whole night. I was so excited. I could have slept if I'd read the call sheet. I could have, get, hey, could you wake me up at 4 a.m.? That was my first onset experience. Another one was really cool is where I met my best friend. I have two best friends, um, Bill Paxton and Matthew Modine. And we met both, I met both those actors on, um, on film sets. So I met Bill um, doing a movie called Reckless. And uh, it was directed by George Miliklovich. And we were hired to play best friends, basically. And Bill uh, decided we were playing these little redneck kids. So Bill decided thought it'd be really cool to drink a Mickey, right? So he was getting drunk and I'm like, fuck, he's doing really good. It's amazing. <laughs> Look at that. And then I, my mistake was I'm a kid. We're at a little like ice cream shop and I'm eating hot dogs and smoking a cigarette is about it. The prop guy comes over and goes, Hey Phil, you didn't have to eat that little hot dog. It's all right. I got this, you know, I got it. So about 20 hot dogs later, oh. and cigarettes, I'm getting green. I'm just about to vomit. And Bill, you know, was doing this great acting, but George was like, what the fuck? He goes over oh, you little bastard, you prick. And almost got fired. Luckily, he didn't. He's such, he was uh, such a spirited, amazing artist. And mm -hmm. after that, we became best friends. He had made a film called Fish Heads and uh, that was on Saturday Night Live. 
and so we had this big party and um, I'm just going to tell a little thing about us. And he uh, had this party and I went down to the docks and I bought all the fish heads from all the fishermen. I said, do you mind if I buy your head fish heads? They're like four. I said, my friend's got a film tonight, fish heads on SNL. I want to make a hors d'oeuvre plate for him. So I bought all the fish heads and I stuck sticks in them, you know, like two sticks uh, yeah. in it. And I brought it to the party. And then we, we became best friends after that. We ended up, we ended up living a couple blocks away from each other anyway. And then I uh, worked at New World Pictures at the time. This is after I went to school. I went to Los Angeles and I uh, worked at New World Pictures with Roger Corman. And I met James Cameron and Gail Ann Hurd and Bob and Denny Skotek. And we all were making films every day. And then Bill um, was, he came back from moving to London and I was like, he needs a job. So I brought him over to New World Pictures. I said, you got to meet this guy, Jim Cameron. Mm. Got to meet this guy. He's making these crazy models in the back room. He's got the ship he's making now. It's nuts. You got to see him. He's so talented. I think he's going to be something. They met and it was like sparks. They're two best friends. Yeah. We ended up hanging out. And then um, uh, Jim drove this shitty ass Pinto white pinto car which he used to drift around corners with bill and me in the car and i'd be terrified I'm like slow down jim and bill would be like yeah baby a pinto right? a pinto he blew it up <laughs> i know yeah. and then uh and then um they became really best friends um as you know aliens was the term he was cast in terminator with jim and then um and then aliens came along and Bill had just done Weird Science, so British Equity would allow him to bring him over. And but Jim told me, he said, he called me, he said, I wanted to bring you, but I couldn't get to British Equity. I'm like, it's okay. You guys did an amazing film together. So, yeah. yeah. How important is it to, do you, like, how, I mean, because, I mean, you are so beloved by so many people in this community. And I mean, you're mentioning the fact that you are and have been dear friends with people who work in film and TV. Like how important are those relationships to you and to your career specifically? Like what, what, what do you get from those friendships that you're unable to get from people who don't work in the industry? Hmm. You know, it's funny. I, I don't think you, I think what you get from those relationships is friendship mostly. Yeah. You know, um, like, if you're able to work together with somebody that you've made a friendship with and it comes up again, um, it's kind of a rare opportunity. It, it's kind of rare. It's unique um, where all, all the stars align at the same time, the parts, right. And everything works out. So I don't really ever look at um, relationships as a way to get ahead. Um, but I look at them as ways to be inspired, you yeah. know, uh, to be inspired by what they do. Um, it does help. Like, you know, there, it has been times like I was in Toronto. I went to do a show in Toronto and actually I moved to Toronto because I had done everything in Vancouver. I was like, I got to go somewhere else or I'm just going to sit here for a year or two doing nothing. So I made a decision to move to Toronto. I worked with a director named George Bloomfield who was on Lonesome Dove when I got there, he gave me his phone number. I called him up and I said, hi, George, I'm in town. I was told you have this part on, um, what was that? Share the Mountie show. What was that one? Oh, do uh, South. 
due south due south george was directing an episode due south and i was and my agent had mentioned this part that i was perfect for so i called him i said or i sent him i, I think i left him a voicemail because he didn't have texting and um i said i'm in town love to read for it and he calls me back he says i'm sorry it's cast i'm like oh well thank you for getting back to me then the next day casting calls and says they'd like to meet you mm. so he talked to paul gross over the night and then so i went in and i george was there and and paul was there and he says this is phil and how you doing good yeah. they look at each other and go okay and then george says okay here's your script you started two days that was that yeah. happens that that happens and you want to reach back and do that also Simon was very kind to me on Ghost Wars, you know, like he, uh, he, he was very kind to me and, um, and Dennis Heaton as well and oh. Rachel Langer as well. They just kept writing me great stuff to do. And did they ever, I'm a huge Ghost Wars fan. Um, nice. I, I think, I think what I, I mean, when I was talking about friendship, I didn't really mean it in a, in a transactional way, although it is wonderful, you know, that you're part, you can be part of a community of friends and everybody can lift each other. But I, I think also about, the fact that film and TV and, and you know, ch pursuing roles and, and pursuing your dreams and it can have a special kind of almost beautiful agony in it, mm. you know, the auditioning and the, and then, you know, waiting for a call or not getting a call or even just the pursuit of art in general. Oh, yeah. You know? And then like to be, so to be friends with people who live with that same kind, yeah, to have the yeah, empathy on a deep level. Suffering. You know? Yeah, and it doesn't change. Yeah, it doesn't change in what, it, you know, you can be at the top of your game or at the bottom. It, the the pain is the same, right? Yeah, I understand what you're saying now. Yes, it creates a community of people that um, understand that we're part of this kind of unusual tribe of people that um, our vulnerability is part of what we do. And, uh, and in that has its own fraught insecurity, you know, and so when you are able to uh, talk to people that are in the same uh, trenches with you, there's an understanding that is so unique mm. because um, not many people really get it. Like uh, the f whole filmmaking process from the director, producer, writer, actor, uh, art, all the way through has its own foibles, you know, where, you know, you're kind of, building out of air and you know and you're building this uh these these worlds out of air and then you kind of have to let it go and the only people they can really talk to about that are other people's that other people that build with air as well mm -hmm. that create with their imaginations and go yeah that's really great or they might be able to um give you a, a note that's like oh i didn't think about that but that's amazing yeah yeah so does that does that make sense everything you're saying makes sense and you're also giving me such beautiful language too i love i love the idea of some building something out of air um okay so and i feel i'm getting to know you better so i feel like i'm on the path to being able to call you phil uh but still philip what is uh what is a philip granger role like when are you the happiest or the most engaged with the material well, the happiest uh, for me is Westerns. You oh. know, I, I love doing Westerns. I've done a few of them. 
there's something about the 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 poetry of a cowboy you know they they don't change you know like they have a certain way of looking at the earth the moon and stars and women and men and there's a there's a code of ethics there that that is very very special so i've been so when i'm on a horse riding over the plains you know with a gun strapped to my side you know covered in dirt yeah that's the best um but each role every part you do to me is Shakespeare. I always look at it like that. No matter what I'm doing, it's the best role I've ever had until it's finished. And then I move on to the next one. You got to look at that. And I was so, but the Western has been the coolest for me, you know, just because there's a stoicism about those characters that is unique and somehow very grounding uh, for me, for me every time I've done it. And I've I've worked with Robert Duvall in the westerns. Mm. Bill Pullman directed me in the Virginian. Uh, Walter Hill. I worked with Walter Hill as a director in westerns. Um, Terry Miles, who's a great Canadian director. Uh, I worked with those guys, and you know. And then what's cool when you're on a western is you're, you're around real cowboys and cowgirls. Mm. You know, they're the real deal. You could take them, and 200 years ago, it's the same person. Yeah. Yeah. The, the grit um, of them and, and that the, the respect they have for, for the land and for the animals and just cycle of things. Yeah. I, I, mean, I enjoy playing detectives as well. I've done a lot of detectives. I was uh, Detective Jablonski on The Killing, and uh, I like detectives or people that are thoughtful. If they have to solve problems, right? And yeah. they're, they're pretty active characters to play, but I like them all, honestly. Anytime you get a part, it's it's amazing. Like yeah. Winston on Ghost Wars, that was like a gem, I think. Such a special show. And I yeah. I, I get angry when I think about Ghost Wars. I mean, Frank, okay, I, I'm happy because I love I think that the season that that one season is a journey in and of itself. And it's beautiful writing and beautiful performances. Every episode is so totally different. It's like watching a show that's like a, just so many different genres. And you think you figured out what the show is. And then you watch the next episode. You're like, what were these writers thinking? It's, this is bonkers. And I've had the opportunity to have almost all the writers on the show to kind of say that to them. Um, right. But, you know, so yeah, tell me about like what you got to do as Winston that you hadn't had the chance to, to do before. Well, I got to meet Jesse Moss. That was pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, you got to share a lot of great scenes. <laughs> I, I got to go toe-to-toe with Meatloaf. Yeah, you did. <laughs> I got to hit him with a gun. You know? I got to take over the town, or at least I thought I did. What was cool about Winston was he was middle management. Do you know what I mean? He yes. Thinks, he's, like, he's like the manager of the Kentucky Fried Chicken. He thinks he's got all the power, but he's got none. Hey, unless he wants some Kentucky Fried Chicken, then he does have all the power. It's perspective. He, he was like, he, he thought he had all the juice, but he didn't really have any, which is pretty funny. You yeah. know? You see that, right? Yeah. So it was, it's a, it's a great show. And I also, like, as a massive Sharon Taylor fan, to see what oh, she yeah. did with that, with that role in that performance. And, you know, she's one of my favorite people to to watch. I think that show that show definitely unlocked something for for her. You know, I 
you brought up Simon a couple of times, and we've had Simon on the show a few times, and I'm, I'm always intrigued to, um, to ask people what they think is going on in Simon Davis's, Simon Davis Barry's brain. You know, like, what, what is it about the way that he, that he sees the world that results in the incredible work we get to see on screen, be it Continuum, or Ghost Wars, or Bad Blood, or Warrior Nun? I think he's just curious about things, you know? Mm. I think he has an incredible sense of curiosity about things. And then, and that stimulates a great imagination. You know, like he, what, you know, I can't, I can't tell you what goes on in his brain, but I can tell you what he's like when you're working with him, mm. which is like, he's incredibly present. He makes everybody feel really great about what they're doing. And there's no like, you know, general, he's, He's kind of like, he tries to encourage people to do their best. And then there's just a gentleness and a kindness about, uh, about him that I think, you know, creates, that, that also allows him to be incredibly creative because he knows what it is to um, be vulnerable. Mm. Right? Yeah. 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 Uh, I mean, he'd been at it a long time. You know, Simon and I used to run into each other in the weirdest places, you know. And, um, uh, you know, he was kicking around Los Angeles forever, just writing scripts and and fighting, the, you know, getting in the trenches. And uh, so, you know, all those years of, like, being at it, um, has, that's the part I think that's really – I think there's a gratefulness about Simon working – in the business that you can't, you can't, um, there's a gratefulness. I think that's it. He's grateful to be doing it, which makes it really special. Right. Yeah. Mm. I'm curious, what kind of conversations do you have with your, with your students, anybody who walks in the doors at new image college about things like, expectations and and gratitude and ideas around success like are these are these conversations that you have and you know what is it that that you find that actors who come into new new image college want well philosophy is that you you need to be the best person you could possibly be that Mm -hmm. means be present be curious be kind um work hard have an incredible work ethic and know that um you know that we always are very honest that the business is tough. So you need to be a, the best version of yourself to be able to do, to be able to endure the industry, you know? Mm-hmm. So we're, we're big on um, giving the actors incredible technical skills. So we train them in the British way of, of acting, acting, and, and then we cover everything. So mm-hmm. We give the actors a lot of tools to be able to execute any type of acting, but mostly we give them courage. Mm-hmm. And the way we give them courage is there's always a project. Each, each, uh, each module has a project at the end that they have to face. And yeah. when they face it, that's a victory, which encourages them to go further and deeper all the way through. So, you know, in the beginning, it's performing scenes in front of, of people. And then, and then being in front of the camera and then making a short film and then doing a full, fully realized play. Right now we're doing plays virtually. So yeah. we did a play 3D 
it was really incredible where people put the goggles on and they look around it's everyone's socially distanced and they're watching the play in real time with these 3d goggles which is pretty nuts oh wow yeah that and sounds incredible. That's pretty pretty awesome. We're doing another one. Um, we also, John Emmett Tracy, as you know, from Yellowstone, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Directed a play for us, too. And uh, he's one of the teachers. And um, he uh, shot, uh, shot the play like a film. And mm-hmm. it's going to be edited music. And, and then Ben Bass, uh, who you might know from Rookie Blue, directed a, a play for us where we used the entire – uh, school as a set and so it was, it was written by the students and you followed the action of one actor to the next story to the next story and used the whole place so it was like a John Cassavetes film wow very verte and yeah we we love to um encourage like so Mary Galloway is one of our students right she she is uh you know she won the Kevin Spacey artist of choice she's a creator she's an actress uh she directs, she's a director. She got all the skills working with us because um, we always encourage people to explore that. Uh, um, Jared Joseph's one of our students, you know, from 100. Yeah. yeah. Dakota Dolby is one of our actors, right? So Dakota's, these, I mean, you're mentioning some very phenomenal actors. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, Black Fly, Dakota's yeah. Black Fly is still like one of my, my favorite performances. I mean, and that's in a film that also has Matthew McCall, right? And they're just like delivering just such incredible work. Yeah. Um, I, I, what kind of conversations, if at all, do you talk to, do you have with your students about things like mental health and self-care, you know, in, a, in an industry that can, I mean, I talked about that beautiful pain, you know, as well of, you know, of the, any kind of artistic pursuit, you know, can be riddled with things like rejection. I mean, you yourself mentioned your very first review that you got from your sister, right? So, and that can really take a toll on a pers- person's sense of self and self-esteem, you know, so is this something that you talk to your students about? And if so, what kind of tools or guidance do you give them? Sometimes, you know, all the teachers that work with us are all working actors. So we'll, we'll go mm-hmm. in and go, you know, I was, I was um, sh- not shortlisted. I was put on availability for a big show and it went the other way. That's part of what we have to do. And you just have to keep believing in what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. So, yes, we're big on um, mental health. It's really difficult. Um, we have uh, counselors that will work with students that are um they've come from you know broken homes or whatever uh other actors come from all different walks of life right and they have all their different problems and so there we do offer counseling but mostly we offer truth like eugene lipinski is one of our teachers and he kicks he just like listen toughen up you know and then ben bass is very empathetic you know like you need to nurture your spiritual self um Peter Hanlon, who's, who's just like a taskmaster at, at getting things done. And then you've got Trisha Collins, who is this amazing actress, director, who also um, makes films and writes one-woman shows that travels around the world. And then Rogie Yu, I call him Yoda. Do you know Rogie? Yes. Yeah, well, Rogie, I call him Yoda because he's just like, <laughs> you know, the Zen master. Yeah. And all of us come at it from a different perspective. 
um, we, the nurturing part of, of it is very important, but self-nurturing is important too. And also not to take things personally. It's not your fault. It comes to, I would say it comes to pictures on the wall. You don't know why all the stars have to align for everything to work out. Yeah. Don't take it personally. Right. I mean, you read for people, I've read for people that, that I love and we're best, you know, like, and I don't get the part. That's because I wasn't right for it. So I use this thing Stella Adler said to me. I studied with Stella for a while, long time. Uh, Stella said, um, "In this, in in your your place on the stage is your place, where you stand. That is yours. It belongs to nobody else. And Sabrina, your space where you're sitting, that is yours. I can't take it from you." Nor can Sharon Taylor, anybody, nor can you take Sharon's place. It's her place. Yeah. And that belongs to her. And what we do with that space that's given to us is up to us. I can't look at your space and go, oh, I want that. That's not it. You have to own it and create what you, you, you have the opportunity to do whatever you want with what you're given. And so we look at it not as a competition. Yeah. You want to be like incredibly powerful and 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 giving. That's another thing. Be benevolent. It's not about you. You know, it's not about being amazing. It's like be benevolent. Be good in the story. Help the actor across the way. Although I've done that, I I did a series where I had a lot of young actors on, and a couple of times I'm like, I'm going to save this scene, and I just sucked because I tried to save the scene. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to overact for the actor who, who was not getting it yet just because they're scared. Yeah. Instead of like, that was when I was younger too. But, you know, you can't save a scene, but you can be in the scene. You can, you can question. You can, bring, you can bring a new, uh, a new, new thing to it. You know, that's your job. And um, the other part that we impart is like be professional. Mm. I always use the story of Tucker and Dale versus Evil. Eli Craig, amazing director. Whose mother happens to be Sally Fields, Oscar winner, Emmy winner. What? Everything winner. Yeah, Sally Fields is his mother. He had oh. that movie. He wrote that script, that beautiful script, right? He's got a lot of connections in the industry. He has a deal over at, I think it was at Paramount first, and that fell through, and then the deal here fell through, and then this deal fell through, and then he gets the deal to make his movie after five years or whatever, and he's only got this much money, and he has to find the right actors, lucky for me. Because I got to be, you know, the share. You had to fill the spots with different at a different thing, budget, and to think that that he worked so hard for so many years with all the, you know, connections and everything. He put his blood and guts and soul into that movie, and people don't think about that when they go in the room. They just think it's all about them. You don't look across the desk and go, "That guy's been carrying this." up the mountain for like five years to get this done and now he gets his shot. So that's why I say honor the people across the desk to the craft. Don't go in there wasting anybody's time because they are, they, they've got everything on the line. Yeah. Especially if they're doing a movie, you know, movies are hard. So um, I think imparting that wisdom to people to realize that you're not the most important cog in the wheel. You're like a piece of the clock 
You know, if the spring goes out, the whole thing goes out. So be a good spring. You know, be a good strong spring, right? Or the diamond. Be a good diamond. Um, and I think, you know, like, if you come into work with that attitude, it uh, it it just kind of grows, you know? I did, a, I did a great movie. May I talk about it? Yes. Um, it's coming out. Oh, absolutely. It's called Cosmic Dawn. And I did it in Ontario with... A director named Jefferson Maneo, who I did a movie with him about four years ago, and he got a great amount of, he got to make his dream movie. And so he brought actors from all over the world. So he got Camille Rowe, who's from France and New York, uh, and Tony Zegers from, she's like the Meryl Streep of South America. Mm. Incredible. Joshua Burge, from, he's from Michigan, but he was in The Revenant, and he's just like, incredible actor and then uh manuel shiriki who's now doing lois and and superman yeah we all went to do this incredible film that um and we all arrived from different places and we all brought this spirit of we're here to try to make something as special as possible and everything like we were so inspired by each other like Watching Antonia Zegers act, it's her first movie in English. I'm looking at her act, and I'm just like on the floor at her commitment and her courage and her beauty, mm. like her beauty and her internal beauty. And then Emmanuel plays this uh, fractured character, you know, and she has some insane acting to do. And then Camille Rowe, as most, I mean, she's been she's been modeling for years. Um, you know, she dated Harry Styles. So a lot of people are like, Oh, that's the girl that Harry Styles wrote all the songs about. Right. I can understand why. Cause she's so incredible. She's incredible. And, um, she was the lead and she had to play a girl that was just broken enough that you were with her on this crazy journey. Um, that's, I can't really tell you too much about it other than that, that it's a beautiful and original story that has a group of people that are part of a cult that you think as you're watching the story unfold, you're like, this isn't happening. Everything they're saying is bullshit. And then at the end of the film, you're like, wow, everything they've been saying is true. Mm. And so every per every piece of the puzzle had to be perfect. And I play a character named Dieter who's from Germany He's from Germany and he lives in, and he's been living in America for so many years. Dita. Yeah, I had to be Dita. And I, and this scary, scary part was like, I didn't want to do it. Like, hello, my name is Dita. I'm the German guy in some movies, the bad guy. You know? That's every bad guy German. Right, right. I'm like, no. No. And you go to Germany and then people speak English and they don't sound like that. It's yeah, just so everyone's like a German guy. I know. So I uh, I had to um, learn a perfect slight German accent. Oh fantastic. And it was and so so what was incredible about that was I think this is the thing about movies and television shows that people don't realize is that we are transported somewhere as a as an ensemble of people, for all the crew members, everybody gets together and they have a singular vision and everybody has their part. They're all pieces of the watch. And then together they make 
every everything move perfectly, right? Yeah. And so, but it needs to have that spirit of like, um, I care deeply for what we're doing and I care deeply for you, right? Mm-hmm. So we're all taking care of each other. And it was great because um, Camille, it was her first uh, lead, lead role. And, um, and mine, having done tons of movies, we were able to work really, really closely together. And that a lot of our scenes are together, right? It's just like Richard and I, except Richard done a million things. And um, I fell in love with the entire film project because I realized how incredibly lucky we are to do this work. It's a blessing. It's a, truly a blessing to be able to do it. And so in that experience of going to Northern Ontario and looking at the lake and seeing the leaves change and meeting people I've never met before. That's, that's the, that's the thing I think. Beautiful. I love how, how gratitude is really becoming a thread through this Mm. whole uh, conversation. Okay. We are going to play favorite things, but before we, but before we do, I would like to, uh, to give Woodland, 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 I still don't know how to say it. Anyway, that's a holdover from last episode. I want to give Woodland the respect it deserves. Um, it's it's a lot of fun. Uh, if you haven't watched the film yet, you can pause the episode and go listen to it now, or go watch it now, and then you can go listen to our Woodland episode, and then come back here and listen to, to Philip talk about it. Um, it But it takes place uh, in the Haida Gwaii. Uh, we have Richard Harmon, Diggy Harmon, playing uh, a broken photographer with a past who goes to work on this remote fishing lodge uh, for a season with Sparky. Sparky played by Philip Granger. Um, and, uh, and then bad things happen. And I'm not going to tell you more than that. Um, but there is also a voice cameo, but one of my best friends, uh, Amanda Tapping, um, who Sparky has a phone relationship with without ever realizing that well, she is a man tapping on the other end of the phone, which, I mean, the tragedy of that there is, is just, it's horrible. Um, okay, so Philip Granger, why did you want to be part of Woodland? Woodland. Woodland. Well, yeah. I mean, Woodland is, uh, the, the, the story is really, like, the story is very, very, unusual it's kind of a new way of telling this broken uh broken man's story you know like richard's character is a character that um had made some errors in his way and had has living in regret you know Mm. and and he and my character um i'm living in regret too sparky's living in regret because i made the decision that the boy that i talk about when we have that big scene at the end of the movie is the boy that dies in my arms is my son. Mm. And that Richard remind that character, Jake reminds me of my son that I couldn't save. And so it's my own kind of agony in that too. And so that was the, that was the, the secret thread for me. And then um, I love Andy and John both. I, I had hired Andy to uh, shoot a film for me that I was producing a long time ago. And he was such a good friend. And then 
um, John, I met him and, um, and then he offered this great role that he'd written. And how can you say no to that? Not that role. You did not say. Like, I mean, any, that's the greatest uh, honor you can ever get if someone writes a role for you to play. Yeah. It's like, God damn, thank you. And then it's, and then it's such, uh, it's such gold. And, you know, of course, you knew you get the script and like, hey, we'd love you to do it. And you're like, oh, God, I'd love to do it too, but is it ever really going to happen? And then Richard came aboard and, and he made all the pieces come together, you know. Yeah. Uh, and then we, yeah. So, I mean, what a great, that's another great experience because we had to go to the north of Vancouver Island and also uh, try, you know, getting together and like, let's make this work. Yeah. And it was incredible. It's so beautiful looking, isn't it? It is. It's beautiful looking. It's haunting. I have very conflicted feelings about all the characters. I mean, I've seen it a few times and there are still things that I, that I discover in it, watching it as well. Um, I do want to give you the opportunity to speak a bit more about Richard as a scene partner, because as you mentioned before, before uh, we started recording, like it was very powerful. You had a very powerful experience listening to, to John and Dickie talk all about you. So now is your chance to talk about them behind their backs. Okay. Okay. Well, um, when I think of Richard Harmon, it honestly makes me want to cry because he's um, so generous as a young performer and he is so committed to being excellent. I mean, he just will do anything to be excellent. Um, he did things uh, in Woodland. He made choices that you were just outside the box. Like, honestly, you know, it would have been easy to have tried to make that character more sympathetic, you know, but he didn't, he didn't do that. He wanted to live the, he wanted to live the agony of that character mm. with the, with the, with the regret and the, and the bad choices and live in them. And then as the photos uh, reveal his future or my future, you don't know. You don't know. You don't know. Um, he fi finds some self-worth at the lodge. Mm. He finds a moment of self-worth. So there's a little redemption in that. And so he brought a lot of humanity to the part, but mostly I've just never met a more generous person to be in a scene with. Like we, you know, that last moment, I, I guess I can circle around this. That last scene that we did it, that underneath in the bunker, mm. right before we did that scene, I got a call that my friend Bill Paxton had passed away mm. just before we shot that scene. And he looks over and he goes, are you okay? And I go, yeah, uh, I'll tell you, my friend Bill just passed away. He died on the operating table. You know about that, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> Bill Paxton, the great actor. I got a call saying, you know, from a friend, a family. And so I look at him and I said, you know, <coughs> my friend Bill died. He said, you want to get, continue? I go, yeah, let's, let's do this. And that kid freaking, you know, was so there for me in that moment. 
I mean, honestly, I look at that two ways. Bill Paxton gave us a gift because that made that scene so incredible. And in his departure, he gifted us that, or me anyway. And then Richard just was like so um, in, in there. And you know, the other thing is, I've never seen an actor who could cry at a one eyeball every time on the same line in the same moment. And it beats its ear. Like I want, I, I look at one time I was like, hey, Richard, you got the, you got the right, the, the tear coming out of the right eye again. I, how the hell are you doing that? You know, but he did it every take. Yeah. It's so beautiful. Right. Like that, that scene is so beautiful, man. Yeah. And um, so I've, I've never shared that story about Bill. So this is the first. Thank you for sharing it here. And I, uh, you know, we, we finished the film and then I got on a plane, Richard, we got on a plane together and, uh, and I flew straight to Los Angeles to be, be with um, Bill's family. And, um, and, Richard went to Manitoba to do a movie mm-hmm. with um, somebody else. And, uh, but I'll never forget that plane ride as we were getting on this small plane in the small airport and we're walking to the plane and we're just, we feel like we carried, you know, a heavy bag and, and planted a flag somewhere on top of something. And we were walking together it was, it's kind of like, you know, people don't realize it's not the movie that's, that's hard. It's not making the movie that's hard. It's when the movie's over that's hard. Mm, yes. It's a walking away from the movie that's hard. And this one, um, you know, I here I got to land and do this intense acting with this young actor and, and learn about his playlist and, and his, his family and his, his sister and and you know who he was and then as we're walking the plane you know um knowing that's over just had a certain quietness to it right and i think that's kind of like what movies are like uh so for richard i feel like you know we went to war together yeah you know we were in the I felt like we were in the war, war together, and then, uh, and the, but always had each other's backs, and that's that's pretty incredible. And then you know that moment uh, when I got the call from Bill, just how we. Here's the thing: John has to make his movie. Angie's got to shoot it. It doesn't matter what's going on in your personal life. You have to you you've got to step up. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest lesson in this business. It doesn't matter if, uh, if your grandmother died, you still have to go and do the job like it didn't happen. If anything, you said is a gift, mm-hmm. right? And so um, Richard Harmon, I can't wait to see what he does in the future. I want to see, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. Yeah. Cause I think he, there, I think, you know, now that, that he's off um, the 100, you know, and he had that great run on that. He's now open to doing many different things. And so I look forward to the choices he's going to make and where that's going to take him. 
Yeah. There's a warmness or there's a warmth. There's a warmth to Richard Harmon that you don't really haven't got to see yet. Right. Yeah. That that's going to come out. There's going to be that role. that's going to demonstrate that unique intelligence and that unique emotional intelligence. Yeah. Which, which if you talk to him in person, you can, you can see it in his, the interactions that he has with people when he's just Richard Harmon. And yet the characters he plays, he doesn't always have the, well, he does do it, but he will lift roles above the, you know, the the cliche of the villain, you know, so you can yeah. so you can see that kind of torture uh, yeah. underneath. It, it's lovely to hear you speak about him, though. You speak about him as if he's a he's a brother of yours. He you know? kind of is. Yeah, I, yeah, he's a brother. He, he definitely is. <laughs> definitely a brother. And then, and then, um, you know, as far as the filmmaker, t- the filmmaking team, Dale and John and Andy, you know, and Kim, uh, tail Kim, you know, they, uh, they made it beautiful. And I'm so impressed with the movie they made with how little they had to make it. That's what people don't realize. It looks like they spent millions making them. They did it on their credit cards, basically. And so that in itself is, is kind of a, a testament to their talent, you know, like uh, give those boys some money to make a movie and some time. Can you imagine? Like we made that movie and I, I can't remember how many days, not a lot of days. And yeah, give those boys some money and some time. Boy, I tell you, they could turn in some magic for real, yeah. real. I mean, Woodland had a magical film. Um, and, uh, but, you know, give them like, Give them enough to do it. Yeah. Imagine what they could do. Watch them fly. Yeah. So, sir. Yeah. Philip, you want to play some favorite things? Sure. Okay. So, um, very complicated instructions. I'm going to ask you a question and you tell me what your favorite thing is of that. So, actually, not complicated at all. In fact, the concept for favorite things came from my nine-year-old daughter. Um, She she developed the first iteration of questions. The second iteration of questions was developed from her, and also we uh, crowdsourced on Twitter. So, these are burning questions that people all over the world want to know, want to have answered. All right? Yep. Okay. The key, however, answer from your gut. Okay. Okay. This is the most fun for me because I love watching people get kind of nervous and terrified. Okay. Favorite locally shot series? I'm going to say Neon Rider. Because of Winston. Because of Winston. Yeah. Um, Okay. Yeah. Favorite cartoon character? Leopold. He was this character that... People rarely know, but he used to he used to go. I'm going to invent something. He's always like trying to invent things, but he's inventing things that were already made. So he's like, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make a tricycle, Leonardo. I'm making a tricycle. So he was like this little tiny, little tiny guy with a tall scientist, and he was always like whispering and and the tall scientist, and he was like, What are you talking about, Leonardo? I'm gonna invent a tricycle. That was my. Favorite, yeah. Oh, that's I'm I'm gonna go on a YouTube deep dive into. I don't that. even know this if it's I don't even know if it's Leopold, but the character was like he, he always used to, he always used to get Leonardo. I think it was Leonardo. <laughs> Come to the window, Leonardo. <laughs> He's gonna have been to tricycle. And then the guy. I love that you have empathy for 
for this character, though, that, that everything he wants to invent is already invented. It's already invented. <laughs> okay. It's like, it's like I've invented a cup. No, I did. I invented a cup. It's glass, and I invented it. Nobody, <laughs> nobody invented. Okay, favorite karaoke song? Oh, God, I don't sing karaoke. Okay. Jeez, uh, I can't even... That was I would I can't I I don't have a gun answer on that because I I don't remember any care oh you know what I did sing uh, down uh, what's that song I don't know yeah me <laughs> either it sounds like it's like me singing in the choir <laughs> you know <laughs> just pick up a couple of words and then you know. I just moved no my mouth. No one knows. No one knows. And no yet, one saw that I was faking it. That is, um, that is a very revealing answer, frankly. This is why I love favorite things. Okay. Favorite comfort food? Oh, God. Ice cream. Flavor? One. I love ice cream. Who doesn't love ice cream? Well, see, I love ice cream, but I don't like ice cream with nuts in it. Like, do you have a favorite flavor? Um, oh, you're going to hate it. Maple walnut. Yeah, I hate it. I hate it. It's my grandmother. She's, a, she's yeah. When I lived with my grandmother, I told her I lived with my grandmother. When I did, I, I she fat me up. I saw a picture of myself. I was like, kid's like three hundred pounds. So I was like ten. Because <laughs> you had so much love. Okay. Yeah, I had a lot of a lot of, of ice cream. cream. That's great. She's great. Hey, on the food, on the same food train, what is your favorite thing to eat at craft services? Oh God, at craft services. In the old way of craft services. I don't know about COVID craft oh, yeah, services. New, oh, God. Um, I guess watermelon. I know. Sliced. I know. It's not that great. You know, I always, I always take a pocket full of gum. You know? He's <laughs> just like, oh, I can use gum, gum later. <laughs> hey, can't hide the gum. Granger's coming. Yeah. <laughs> Leave some for somebody else. Okay. You know what's funny? Uh, Barbara Tyson is great. Um, I worked with her on Neon Rider. Great, great. And she's now casting. She does casting. I was, uh, I would too, put too many pieces of gum in my mouth just because I could. Yeah. <laughs> she's sitting beside me. She looks over at me. She gives me this death stare and she goes, don't ever chew gum in public again. <laughs> I go, what? She goes, just don't do it. And I like a big... You know, okay. Since then, I've been pretty good about it. Like uh, two pieces. Your family like walks by a closed closet door and they can hear chomping. You'd be like, "Don't go in there. Dad's chewing gum again." No, he's chewing gum in public. Don't do that. That's a good friend, right? That is a good friend. Yeah, it tells you that. That's actually a good friend, yeah. right? Like, yeah. Just don't do it. Yeah. Um. Wow. Okay. So, what was your favorite book when you were nine years old? Hmm. Charlotte's Web. Really? Yeah. You like to cry, huh? Yeah, I love that. It's amazing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, who is your favorite supervillain? Supervillain? Oh, God, I don't really have a supervillain. I don't have a supervillain. That's okay. Superhero? Superhero? Batman. Like the original one, the bam, you know, the... Damn, you know the Joker, right? Oh, I guess the Joker back then, yeah. right? Because you just like, hey, oh, the Penguin, yeah, like in that old series. Because they're also kind of nicely 
they were they weren't so dark, right? Yeah. Okay. Oh, you know, I loved I loved Mac, Maxwell Smart. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Right? Ninety nine. Yes. Hello, ninety. Would you believe I got four Dalmatians and. Uh, Remember when you do that? I, I love the, what was it? The cone of, of silence. The cone of silence. Yeah, and which I would love one of those. Other? Like, that's brilliant, right? Yeah. Hey, Chief. Yeah. Listen, Chief. Uh, <laughs> listen, um, I can't hear you. Oh, he's great. What about, what about, we're going back in TV land. We are. What, we, about, what about Schultz from Hogan's Heroes? Hogan's Schultz. Heroes. Yeah, Hogan's Heroes. Did you ever I, see that show? I, re I remember. I think that's where I first heard my, like, the first really bad German accent of yeah, my life. Been. Yeah, brings it full circle. Pull um, down. I hope mine's not that bad. <laughs> That'd be yours bad, is right? Good. Yours is it reminds good. me of Schultz. In, in Cosmic Dawn, he reminds me of Schultz from Hogan's Heroes. It's amazing. Yeah. Uh, okay, so when is Cosmic Dawn coming out then? Do you have a release Don't, date? Well, we just did, I just did ADR on it like uh, two weeks ago at yeah. Postmodern Sound here in Vancouver. And Sound. so they've locked the cut. They are doing, there's visual effects. It's a, there's lots of visual effects to be done. And yeah. um, it's, uh, you know, so there's some sci-fi stuff in it. And uh, so, but I'm, I hear that they're close. They're close and mm. they've done some screenings and people are going gaga goo goo over it. Oh, I cannot so, wait. Well, as soon as it's announced, we'll make sure that uh, I will tweet it out on all the socials and read this episode so that people can so that people can see it. Okay, I'm going to end with a WTF question. Okay. So, when and when and where in your career do you have the what the fuck? This is actually my life moments. Well, I've had a few of those. Had a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, Cosmic Dawn was one of those. Uh, you know, because I was, I'd never been to Northern Ontario. Hmm. I also did a movie in Romania. I think anytime you go on location, I did a movie in Romania. I also did a movie in Turks and Caicos. Oh. And, uh, and then the... Then Woodland, of course, you know, those, whenever I'm on location somewhere, you know, the biggest what, what F moment was I said I was really good at riding a horse when I first got this job on Lonesome Dove. I was like, oh, yeah, I can ride a horse. I get out there and they're like, uh, he didn't know how to ride it. So they taught me. And my first riding a horse full on, I had to ride down this incredible hill that was super steep and I'm leaning all the way back on the horse with my feet in the stirrups going straight down chasing cattle across down this hill and across the plains what? at oh. a full gallop at a full gallop going oh my you know just holding on just riding straight down that hill with cattle all around me and I'm like yeah that's a what the f moment for sure I got down there and then after that, the 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 Buse family, their famous cowboy family, God Buse's stuntman, Vancouver. His father said, "Would you like to help us take the cattle back to the field where they belong?" I said, "Where's that?" He says, "It's over there." 
I'm like, yeah, yeah, want to do that. So we're riding with the cows. It's dark. Everyone's gone. And he's telling me how to navigate by the stars and how they used to read Shakespeare by the campfire. And then he pulls out a bottle of scotch out of his boot. Of course he does. And we all, and we all drink the whiskey or whatever. We all pass it around. And we rode these cattle. It took us like three, four hours. Wow. Get them to where they had to go. And I was like, and I was in Alberta, and I'm a BC boy. And I was like, that, that, this is a what the, the moment. Yeah. That was like, and I learned so much. I think that's the beauty. Like, I guess that's our lucky thing, isn't it? We get to explore other worlds in ways that you have to look beyond the pale. You need to find out what motivates a person to be that way yeah, and then create their lives. So for acting, I think, you know, I don't know. I was going to get into the acting advice thing, but maybe I won't, but I think you should. I think you should. Um, Your obligation as an actor is to present, is to find the human being, all the parts of them, the sweet spot, the bruise, mm -hmm. the, you know, the torment. I like it, it to an apple. You have the core, the stem, you've got the bruise, you've got the worm. It's all there. All, all those things make the apple. And so the characters need to be like that, that there's the worm. Like you notice in Woodland, is he good? Is he, is he what? Yeah. And then it, uh, the sweet spot and, and the, the, the full core of the person. Because we're all so many things as people, as yeah. humans. We're all so many different things that, um, that we have to live with and through and be part of our experience. And so as an actor, your obligation is to find that in every character you play and then make it fit the director's vision. Don't forget about the writers because yeah. they make it happen. Okay. <laughs> That's that so beautiful. I apologize. Thank you. That was really beautiful. Oh, Phil Granger. I do feel like I've got to know you so yes. well. You just called me Phil. Right I called on. you Phil. I made it. You're going to come back, right? We'll do this. Yeah. We'll do this again. Maybe when Cosmic Dawn is out even, you can come back and we'll talk more specifically about that project. Uh, where can our listeners find you, follow you, celebrate you on the social media? I'm on Philip Granger at Facebook and Granger Philip Instagram. And... Granger, what am I under Twitter? I Granger, like Granger underscore, underscore, right. Yeah, Granger underscore Phil, Twitter. Yeah. Wonderful. But you can always phone me. It's old school. Just look me up in the phone book. <laughs> are there still phone books? No, I don't think so. I don't think there good, are. Right? <laughs> I used to have a phone book. They got phone books? Hey, do you notice these uh, things behind me? You know what that's about, right? That's well, really. actually, now that you moved, I saw a little bit of your um, of your of your clothes. <laughs> but you see this that's, behind the scenes. That's Peek. Richard and I right there with the boat. Yeah. And that's Richard there, and that's Richard there. Yeah. And that's Richard and I. I love that scene where we are, um, where I'm like, "Why do you have to cut me?" Yeah, you know, it's it is a beautiful film, and I'll say watching it because I had, I watched it before the COVID, and then I've watched it. Uh, since the COVID and watching it 
in the time of a pandemic where you can't travel anywhere, it's so lovely, you know, because you actually watch the film and then you feel the the vastness of of the universe and the open water. And, you know, and I could even, because somebody who spent a lot of time on farms in Eastern Ontario growing up, like, I, you know, a lot of forests and stuff, there's a very distinct smell of just being in trees. And I could yeah. really, I could smell it off this film. So... Um, I will include links on how to watch Woodland uh, in the footnotes for this episode, uh, as well as a link to the to the interview that I did with John Silverberg and Richard Harmon. So thank you very much, Bill Grayshard. Thank you, Sabrina. Have a great day. I will. And Thanks I thank so you, much. our listeners, as well. You can find us at www.yvrscreensea.com. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram, but not TikTok, at Scene. The Why Bear Screen Scene podcast is hosted and executive, executive produced by me, Sabrina Ferminger. I'm the only one to blame. And it's edited by Simon Ferminger. Special thanks to Mariana Ferminger for recording our Patreon ad and to Tyson Braddock and Paul Ferminger for technical support. Yes, we are a family business. And, and to Dane Devley for the original music. Why Bear Screen Scene is a division of Fish Flight Entertainment. Join us next time for another deep dive into Vancouver's dynamic film and television scene. And cut! This ad begins with a story about an important but largely forgotten piece of Hollywood North history, the fish flight. In the 1980s, the fish flight was an early morning flight from Vancouver that delivered fresh fish to Los Angeles before the start of the business day. These were the early days of Hollywood North, before digital deliveries and fast transfer speeds, and the pioneers of the Vancouver film industry began loading up the fish flight with film reels so Hollywood execs could review the footage shot on the previous day. The fish flight was also one of the building blocks of the visual effects and animation mecca that is present-day Vancouver. And Fish Flight Entertainment builds on this legacy. Fish Flight Entertainment serves the games, film, and television industries. We remember the days of the fish flight and attack our projects with the same passion as those pioneering days of yore. We believe in jumping off the cliff and building our wings on the way down. And who knows? That old fish with improvised wings may even fly. Learn more about Fish Flight Entertainment at fishflightentertainment.com. That's fishflightentertainment.com. Mm-hmm.